the vagus nerve or the vagal nerve possibly killed Elvis Presley while he was taking a big dump. Poor guy. to episode three of What the Shit podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Ariel, and I just got finished watching WandaVision, so I have the biggest urge to say hello, darling, like uh, the guy that does Vision, but his name escapes me right now. Today I'm going to do a short and sweet episode. We're going to be going over the basics of macro and macronutrients, what they are, how they're stored, um, and why we need them. So we're going to start off with the carbohydrate. Let's get right down to it. A carbohydrate is a complex structure that is consistent of lots of different sugars put together. And it can be a combination of more than one sugar. If something ends in O-S-E, O-S, it's a sugar. So carbohydrates are classified into three different groups, and it just depends on their number of subunits. And fun fact, um, what what the name comes from is saccharide, if you've heard this before. It's actually derived from the Greek word for sugar. So saccharide means sugar in Greek. First one that we have is a monosaccharide. Mono meaning a single unit, and this normally contains three to seven carbon atoms. An oligosaccharide has two to 19 monosaccharide subunits. So you can have a string together of 19 different units. Last one is a polysaccharide. And this can be a really, 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 really long chain. It can have hundreds to millions of subunits. An example of this is glycogen. And that's what we store carbohydrates in our body as. We'll go over that in just a minute. So back to sugars really quick, something that's maybe a little bit more common for uh, what you would know at home. Uh, Really common structures to know that you would probably go over in organic chemistry or if you take um, biochemistry are ribose, glucose, galactose, and fructose. So ribose is what is in our DNA and it's in RNA also. Glucose is um, our most common energy storage. And galactose is actually what's broken down from lactase. And then fructose is what you would find in fruit. And these are either an aldehyde or a ketone. And what that means, if you haven't taken organic chemistry, but you're familiar with carbon-carbon bonds, is that it has a carbon-oxygen double bond An aldehyde has it at the very end of a molecule, and then a ketone has it normally one carbon over from the end. And the unique thing about glucose or any sugars is that they can be in a linearish structure. There's not really a way for me to describe it besides linear. It's not technically a straight line. It actually has some curves that's going to happen to it anyways if you've ever seen like a ball and stick model, again from organic chemistry. It's not really linear, but it's the most linear form of it. And it can also actually turn around on itself and form a ring. If you're familiar with like a hexose ring, 
that's what it's going to look like depending on how many carbons are actually in it. But it can either be in this ring structure or it can be in this open structure. And this is actually part of why high blood glucose levels are not good. So this change that the sugar can do, which is considered a resonance structure, is it makes it reactive. When it's open and it's linear and when it's closed, it has this ability to change its shape and be reactive because of this carbon-oxygen double bond. And it can react with things like DNA and your membranes. We went over this in, I think, the last episode, but anytime you have a reaction that's not supposed to happen, it typically doesn't go well in your body. Let me take a sip of my tea real quick. So how is glucose stored in our body? It has two main storage sites. The most prominent and major one being the liver. The second one is in your muscles. And the muscles, importantly, don't have a huge storage and they also don't share. So if you are in a fasting state where you start working out and you need to actually use up your glycogen storage, your muscles are not going to give up their sugar and release it to the bloodstream for the body to use. Only your liver does that. Your muscles don't have a lot of storage to begin with, but it also makes it so that they don't have to take up immediate sugar from the bloodstream. The way that it's stored is as a compound that's called glycogen. Glycogen is just a long strain of glucose that's actually strung together. It has a reaction to actually piece those little carbon-oxygen bonds over and over and over again. And it has a lot of what's called um, branch ends. So it kind of looks like, if you think about a spider web, you're going to have this central part and you're going to have a lot of legs coming out from that central part. And every single one of those ends can be reacted upon. And it ends up being, like I said, for a polysaccharide, which is what a glycogen is, it can be up to millions of strung together carbons. All right, our next macro is going to be fat or lipids. There are two different kinds typically that you've uh, probably heard of. You have a saturated fatty acid and you have an unsaturated fatty acid. The biggest difference between these two is just that one of them can have a double bond and the other one doesn't. Saturated has no double bonds. Unsaturated has at least one double bond. So depending on if the lipid, lipid has double bonds or not is what tells you that. Saturated is normally the one that we're told to stay away from. And unsaturated is normally the one that you would find in things like olive oil. So the way that fat is stored in our body is called a triglyceride. A triglyceride has what's called a glycerol molecule, which is three carbons and an oxygen. And each oxygen is attached to one of the three carbons. And those oxygens actually react with um, the fatty acid chains. It's combined with a ester bond. And a lot of this is kind of chemistry heavy. And if none of this means anything to you, go ahead and just blink right over it. It doesn't really matter unless you're interested in it. But this is how it's stored in our body. You have lipids that are stored as triglycerols. If you ever see the word TAG, capital T, capital A, capital G, and like 
an article or in a study that you're maybe trying to make your way through, TAG refers to a triglycerol. That's all that it means. So triglycerols are stored inside what are called lipid droplets. And those are typically inside of adipocytes or adipose tissue. But when you have them in lipid droplets, these can actually be stored in all cells in your body. And pretty much all cells do have lipid droplets in them, just a couple for fuel reserve so that the cell always has energy available. And sometimes you just need the lipids to activate some kind of pathway or sometimes DNA replication. So it's used for a lot of different stuff besides just energy. And that's why all cells have it available. And to actually break it down, you have what's called lipolysis, which is just literally the breakdown of lipids. Lipo being lipids, and then lysis is the breakdown of them. The last macronutrient we have is protein. So we all know that we have 20 amino acids. Nine of them are called essential amino acids. Essential does not mean that the other, well, I have to do math, 11 of them aren't important and that we don't use them. They are. We do need all of them. The nine essential just means that you don't make them. Your body does not have the ability to make these nine amino acids, so you have to eat them in your diet. If you don't eat them, then you're unable to make them. And I'm going to actually list off the amino acids for you really quick. So the non-essential ones that your body can make are alanine, arginine, asparagine, aspartate, cysteine, glutamate, glycine, erythinate, proline, serine, and tyrosine. The nine essential amino acids that you need to actually eat are histidine, isoleucine, leucine, lysine, methionine, phenylalanine, threonine, tryptophan, and valine. And some of these are actually really important regulators for how you're able to open up DNA and start to make proteins. Some of these are actually used in pathways that regulate it so that if you aren't eating enough protein and specifically your essential amino acids, your body stops making proteins. Your body has a lot of really clever mechanisms built in so that you're never making something unless you have the energy for it and you have the materials for it. And when you have proteins, the way that they're actually made from amino acids is that they're strung together. Every single one of these amino acids has its own structure, it's its own molecule. And they end up being strung together, kind of like in the same way that glycogen is strung together, but each one is a different compound and they all have different properties. And they start to fold up onto each other and create these 3D, three-dimensional structures that have a function to them, just kind of like if I have a wrench, it can do a specific function. It has a specific shape, so it fits a specific hole. But proteins frequently, to do anything in the body, require what's called a cofactor. And this is what's important when it comes to vitamins and minerals. Minerals and vitamins are typically your cofactors in your proteins. So if you think about like antioxidants, these things have a charge to it and they can help with things that have opposite charges. And these things can also be actually integrated into the inside of a protein so that if another molecule needs to come in and react with that protein, it's using that cofactor or that vitamin or mineral 
to actually make that reaction happen in the form of bonds making or breaking or just using a charge that a molecule has in order to make something move or change shape. So that's why they're really important. So now we're going to go into our micronutrients, which are the vitamins and minerals. We just barely went over the macronutrients. Macronutrients are carbohydrates, fats, and proteins. And then our micronutrients are vitamins and minerals. Really quick, let's go over our vitamins. You have two types. You have a water-soluble and you have a lipid-soluble. Water-soluble means that it can actually dissolve in water. It will incorporate into the solution. Lipid-soluble means that it will not incorporate to a water solution. It only incorporates into a lipid solution. And that normally means that it's a non-polar molecule. It doesn't have a charge on it, so it doesn't want to be around things that have a charge. Water-soluble vitamins normally have either a positive or a negative charge to them, so they can interact with water, and water will actually go around them and solvate it. It will break up really densely packed vitamins. So say that you put just pure vitamin. If you think about it, you have a couple different forms of vitamins. You have that kind of like jelly one, you have the capsulated one, and you just have a powder that's compacted down. If you had a powder that was compacted down and you put it in water, it would end up dissolving into it. Whereas say a lipid soluble one would not, it would just stay together clumped, just like if you were to put oil in water. So the different vitamins that we have that are water soluble to start with is we have thiamine, which is B1, riboflavin, which is B2, niacin, which is B3, vitamin B6, biotin, which is also A1, folate, vitamin B12, vitamin B6, and pantothenic acid. Those are all of your water soluble vitamins. And you can get a lot of these in your dark leafy greens, your vegetables, your fruits. That's normally why you are encouraged to eat these things is because they normally are really nutrient dense. But the thing to think about is that depending on how long you cook your food or if you cook your food, it can actually destroy some of the vitamins. And so that makes it that they won't be bioavailable in your body once you actually eat them. A lot of these things, prolonged heat can destroy the vitamin itself. Next, we have fat-soluble vitamins. So you have beta-carotene or vitamin A. This is what you would find in uh, like carrots. It makes them the reddish-orangish color that they are. Vitamin D, vitamin E, and vitamin K. You'll frequently find these vitamins in those gummy um, capsules. And the reason why is because they normally are surrounded by a type of lipid so that they can actually be absorbed better. And some of these things you may have heard of in more recent times, like when you eat your salad, they're like, make sure that you have the full-fat dressing, no more of this low-fat type of thing. The reason why is because for a fat-soluble vitamin, it actually needs fat available and to actually solvate and be absorbed into your bloodstream. So having a fat dressing is going to be its pathway into your body. All right, well, let's get into our minerals now. This is our last category. We have regular minerals, and then we have trace minerals. For your regular minerals, you have calcium, phosphorus, sodium, magnesium, chloride, potassium, sulfate, and sodium. These are all really, really important in your body. 
all of these are charged and they're used for a lot of different reactions. For example, calcium is really, really important uh, for your muscles to actually have a contraction and they're really important for nerves to send signals. So if you have low calcium, it's not just a bad thing for what people used to say was your bones. It's actually really important for most of these really big, heavy moving compounds in your body, like nerves and muscles. Sodium is also super important too. That's another big one in your nerves. All right. And then trace minerals, we have iron, zinc, copper, iodine, chromium, selenium, fluoride, manganese, and then molybdenum. I cannot think of a time when I've ever talked about that one now that I'm looking at this word, molly, molybdenum. All right, I'm going to move on past it. <laughs> Iron, we know is a really big one. This is what we use to carry hemoglobin. That's how we carry oxygen in our body. If you have too low of iron levels, you're considered anemic. And there are ways to get up your iron um, in the form of like an oral iron supplement. Uh, you can also try and eat more iron-rich foods, things like red meat, fish, poultry. Um, sometimes you can cook your food in a cast iron skillet. It will get micro amounts of it in there. It's not a whole ton, but if you're iron deficient, anything can help. All right, so that's all that I have for you today. We went over our macronutrients and our micronutrients. We have so we have fats, carbohydrates, and proteins. I was going to say solids. That's not what I meant. And then we have our water-soluble vitamins, our fat-soluble vitamins, our trace minerals, and our regular minerals. If you guys have any questions, shoot me a comment on Instagram at W2S underscore podcast. Shoot me an email at whattheshit at gmail.com. That's W-H-A-T-T-H-E-S-H-T-T at gmail.com. Or you can give me a shout out on the website. I've got a little link that says submit a question and you'll get a pop-up and it will just send the question right to me. Thanks for listening and I hope you have a wonderful night, darling. Just kidding, guys. I'm back. I almost forgot to do a fun shit fact for today. Um, the one that I thought of, Elvis Presley, you might have heard that he had died from having a bowel movement on the toilet, which is a great feat in and of itself, but I was going to talk to you about how he died having a bowel movement on the toilet. So Elvis Presley was a, a heavy user of a lot of different opioids, and these are well known to actually cause constipation. On top of Elvis having all sorts of bad health at that point in his life, he had he was overweight, he had diabetes, high glucose levels, glaucoma, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He had really bad constipation. And the only reason why I know this is because I have two sisters that are nurses, and I remember them both telling me that in nursing school, the way that they learned this nerve was because of Elvis Presley. So you have this nerve that goes... Um, down by your heart into your abdomen and it's called the vagal nerve but when you breathe in really deep from your diaphragm and you open up your abs or you squeeze really tight from your abs like you're doing a bowel movement it actually compresses this nerve and this compression activates this nerve it starts stimulating it and what it does is it slows down your heart rate it actually activates your parasympathetic nervous system this is a breathing technique that I tell all my athletes to do after they're done 
um, doing any kind of heavy workout and they're breathing really hard and I say you need to slow down your heart rate, you need to slow down your breath, take really big breaths into your diaphragm, open it up, push out, and then exhale. This big deep breath or this activating your diaphragm and pushing your abs is what stimulates that nerve and it slows down your heart rate. And Elvis had all sorts of cholesterol and problems on top of this. So this could be one cause of it. But looking at this article that I'm reading on PBS, it's saying, starting a quote, Elvis actually died a death that is quite common, albeit an embarrassing one. Elvis was sitting on the toilet, straining very hard to have a bowel movement, a maneuver that put a great amount of pressure on his heart and aorta. Thus, he likely died of a massive heart attack and kneeled over onto the floor. End quote. So, this idea that it's putting pressure on his heart and aorta could be in combination with the vagal nerve stimulation, where you have this heart rate slowing down, but his heart is still trying to contract. And so then you start to have this arrhythmia, which is how heart attacks start, where your heart starts beating out of sync, and it just gets worse and worse unless you correct it. When you actually use a defibrillator or an AED, which is what you would find like on the gym wall or in a like big glass box or somewhere, the defibrillator will actually shock the heart to get it back in synchronization. That's what it's doing. It can work if a heart has completely stopped, but normally what you're using it for is to synchronize a heart again. So if I had to guess, and don't quote me on this, I think that his heart was trying to do two different things at the same time. Because one thing that he was doing was bearing down on his vagal nerve, which in the nursing school, they call it the vagus nerve. So I end up calling it that now without realizing that I am. But he was bearing down on his vagal nerve, which is trying to slow down his heart rate while his aorta is trying to still pump really tight. And then you're starting to get this arrhythmia on top of him already having cardiac issues. And that's your fun fact for the day. The vagus nerve or the vagal nerve possibly killed Elvis Presley while he was taking a big dump. Poor guy. All right, now I'm done. Bye, guys.